Welcome to this topical Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with youth minister Joseph Strong. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Alright, so we are in 1 Peter chapter 4. Verses 12 through 19 will be our main passage. And again, if you're new or visiting, my name is Joseph. Um, I'm one of the high school leaders. And uh, Pastor Jim, again, is in the uh, Sunday school serving in there uh, for today, as he does once a quarter. And so this morning, we'll be talking about a topic that many people in our culture and even people under the banner of Christianity in America really don't like hearing about. And I've titled this message, Suffering as a Christian. And just a heads up, we will be flipping back and forth through a lot of scripture today. Um, There's just so many verses on that topic. And so um, I'm excited to get deep into the word. And um, are you guys ready to dig into the word and flip back and forth? Good, because there'll be a lot of that today. So um, as Pastor Jim always says, it's good to get familiar with your Bible, you know. And so um, if you're new or visiting, if you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles and the chairs in front of you so you can grab one. Don't be, you know, ashamed or afraid to use the table of contents because it's good to get familiar with that as well. All right, First Peter, chapter 4. Peter here is writing this letter to the Gentile, non-Jewish believers in the Roman provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, all of these places in what they called Asia Minor. Now, if you've read all of First Peter you know that he specifically addresses one important concept, and that is suffering. The reason being is that 1 Peter was written around 62 to 64 AD, which, if you know, this was during the time of great persecution um, for Christians under the reign of Roman Emperor Nero. And the persecution began in Rome and was spreading into places such as Asia Minor and all over the Roman Empire, And here Peter is writing to the saints there to encourage suffering believers to stand firm for Christ in the midst of persecution. So this morning I want to encourage um, you with what we will be reading in the scriptures. And I want to take a more broad approach because much of our suffering is not just related to persecution. Um, Although scripture promises us that we will all face that, But many of us face fiery trials and tribulations, and it comes in many different forms. And God, in his will, allows us to go through suffering for various purposes, and we will look at some of those today. And so, before we get to the word, let's uh, let's pray. God, we thank you once again for what your son did for us on the cross, laying down his life. Yet while we were still sinners, you died for us, and that demonstrated your love for us, God. We thank you for um, the atonement, what you did for us there. We thank you for your mercy and your grace. We don't deserve any of those things, yet you continue to pour it on us. When our sin abounds, your grace abounds all the more, and we thank you and praise you for that, God. I pray this morning for the gift of teaching, that your words flow out of my mouth, and that uh, you increase and I decrease. And that your word cuts to our hearts this morning. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 through 13. He says here, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But, Verse 13, rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, and when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Now, right off the bat, this is truly one of the most remarkable and astounding verses, I think, because Peter is telling them to not think it strange or abnormal to be suffering as a Christian, but rather encourages them to rejoice to rejoice in the fact that they get to be a part of Christ's sufferings. 
Now, what is so crazy about this verse is that to the natural man, to the unbeliever, the normal person, this verse makes no sense in the slightest. How on earth does anybody rejoice having exceeding joy in the midst of trials and sufferings? How how does that happen? The natural thing to do in suffering is to be sorrowful all the time, hopeless, angry, etc., etc., The very opposite of what this verse is encouraging us to do. And what enables us to endure suffering is the joy that we have in knowing Christ personally. Let's turn to Acts chapter 5. Keep your finger in uh, 1 Peter, because we'll be going back and forth a lot. Acts chapter 5. We'll pick up in verse 40. Acts 5, verse 40. And this is right after Peter and some of the apostles were on trial for preaching the gospel. It says here, verse 40, And they agreed with him that when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak the name of Jesus and let them go. Verse 41, So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing, that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah. Remember, this is Peter who experienced this. The same person who wrote the letter to the, to the believers in Asia Minor who are now facing the fiery trials of persecution. Peter didn't write to them not having gone through what they're going through. Peter himself experienced what they are currently, currently experiencing. And again, we see that Peter and the other apostles left the place after being beaten and commanded to stop preaching and teaching Jesus, but they instead rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And again, joy. Joy is what enables us to endure any type of suffering for Christ. Nehemiah 8.10 says this, I have a slide. It says, Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Our strength in tribulation in fiery trials is the joy of the Lord. And Jesus even gave us an example in the suffering of his crucifixion in Hebrews 12, 2, where he says this, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus endured the cross. The joy that was set before him. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Psalm 16, 11 says this, You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. Fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And we need to remember that in our trials, in our sufferings, God is with us. We are in His presence. And when we are in His presence, we have not just some joy, but a fullness of joy. A fullness. I think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and how they refused to worship Nebuchadnezzar's idol. And they were thrown into a fiery furnace that was so hot that the people who threw them in there died immediately. Those three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they should have died. They should have been incinerated immediately. But to Nebuchadnezzar's surprise, he looked in and he saw not Three men, he saw how many? Four. He saw a fourth person in there. And that person is the Son of God. Jesus was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire. And in the same way, as you go through fiery trials, God is with you in the fire. And when he is with you, there is a fullness of joy which will strengthen you to endure the suffering that we get to be a part of 
since Christ also suffered for us. We have joy in Christ. Now we need to remember that joy is not uh, the same thing as happiness. Happiness comes and goes. It's, an, it's a fleeting emotion. I could be happy one moment, stub my toe, and be angry the next. Real serious joy from Christ is immovable. It's immovable. There are Christians who have gone through the worst, terrible things, yet they're the most joyful people in the midst of their sufferings. And if you've read Richard Wormbrand's Torture for Christ, then you know how he describes Christians having faced all kinds of just unspeakable uh, tortures during the communist persecution in Romania during, uh, after World War II. How he describes how so many Christians despite being beaten and tortured, mutilated, despite all that, they were still full of joy. And they were even singing songs in prison, dancing, praying for those who were persecuting them and preaching the gospel to them. This, of course, left many of the persecutors shocked and captivated to see these people so full of joy in the midst of their suffering. And many of the persecutors came to Christ along many who witnessed their joy and suffering. When you think about it, nobody can stop us if we have a serious joy in Christ. Peter and the apostles were beaten. And they left that place even more glad than when they first came in. Rejoicing so much that they got to suffer shame for the name. You can't stop a people like that. They're unstoppable. And with a joy like that, the culture cannot control you. You are free. You're free. Free from the culture. The culture can't force you to do anything if we have a serious joy in Christ. You cannot stop a people who are glad and rejoice when you try to silence them through torture. They're free. The joy of the Lord is our strength. For those of you who are in a fiery trial now, people will watch and, and see how you react to it. Do you have joy? That peace beyond understanding? And if you don't, ask God and I guarantee you, He will strengthen you with joy and that peace. Will there be times of mourning? Of course, yes. Times of grieving? Yes, to be sorrowful, yes. All the emotions are real. They happen. They take place. But despite our emotions, you can have joy at the same exact time and be joyful. Don't believe me? 2 Corinthians 6.10, Paul mentions how he is sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Sorrowful yet always rejoicing. In that verse, we see clear that you can be sorrowful and rejoice at the same time, or it's simultaneous. But this doesn't always happen because uh, we see in Psalm 35, where it says that pain may be in the night, but joy comes in the morning, where it's a sequential thing, rather. Point is, don't stay in sorrow. Don't stay there. Because you can have the fullness of joy in the midst of your pain, whether that be a physical or an emotional pain. Suffering for Christ comes in many forms. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verses 8 through 9. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 9. Paul writing to the church in Corinth. He says, We are hard-pressed... On every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. We see in these two verses, we see that suffering can be mental, physical, emotional, and even spiritual. And what is awesome about this verse is that we can face all of that suffering, all of that affliction, being hard-pressed on every side, feeling the pressure, the intense pressure, but we won't be crushed. Being perplexed, 
being just confused, like, what is going, what is happening? But not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned by God. And even struck down, but not destroyed. With our joy in Him, we can and we will endure because God is right there with you in the middle of it all. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Verses uh, 8 through 11. Paul writing to the church in Philippi. He says this, Yet, indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his, what does it say? Sufferings. Sufferings. Being conformed to his, his death. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now we need to ask ourselves this question. Does this verse describe you? Does this verse describe us? Do we count all things as lost for the sake of knowing Christ? Jesus, our Lord. Verse 10 says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. To know the fellowship of his sufferings and to be conformed to his death. Paul was so obsessed with knowing Jesus that he wanted the fellowship of his sufferings. Imagine yourself being there with Jesus while he was being flogged and whipped and beaten. And you're there with him going through the same exact thing he's going through. You're looking at Jesus face to face, taking the beating with him. And just imagine the excruciating pain you would be facing, but you would be looking him in the eyes. And you'll know that you're with the one who made everything the supreme being, the almighty, the son of God, the all-knowing, all-powerful creator, king of kings. And you're going through it together. Paul wanted to know Jesus as deeply as possible. And for those of you suffering right now, whatever that may look like on any level, if it's for his sake, let me tell you that Jesus is there with you right now. And through this suffering, you will know Jesus more intimately. You will grow closer to him. And there is purpose in suffering. And growing closer to him is just one of many purposes. Um, but let's look at another one. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. Some of you are probably wondering, wow, we're going through a lot of scriptures. I've only just started. We're going to go. There's a lot more. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 through 4, he writes this to the church, his second letter to the church in Corinth. He opens up by saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that way we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are now comforted by God. When we go through tribulations and suffering, we are comforted by God since we are in His presence and we have that joy. With the comfort He gives to us, God will use us to comfort other people who are also going through a fiery trial. To where you can say, I know what you're going through. I've been there. I know what that's like. Everything's going to be fine. It's going to be okay. 
This goes to show why the, the church is so vital, it's so important. And this is why we need to be here in person. Christians were never meant to be hermits. They were never meant to be lone rangers. We need each other to comfort each other, encourage, strengthen, and pray for each other. Galatians 6.2 says this, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We need to be there to love each other and support each other as we all grow through and endure trials and tribulations for Christ. The church is a refuge for those suffering. And one thing I really love about our church here at Calvary is that there's one thing that I hear all the time from so many different people, and, they, and the, the thing I hear over again is our church is a very caring church, a very loving church. And I'm thankful for that. And I want to encourage you guys to keep doing that, to keep doing that. I encourage you to, keep, to step out of your comfort zones and, and love people, pray for people, encourage, comfort those who are going through trials and tribulations because suffering equips us for ministry. Suffering equips us for ministry. Let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, back to our main text. Verses, uh, verse 14. Peter says, If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. Peter is saying we are blessed when we are reproached, when we are ridiculed for the name of Christ. Why? Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Being willing to endure suffering for him, and not just to suffer just for the sake of suffering, to suffer for him proves the spirit of God rests upon you. It's proof that you're Christians. You, you follow Christ. It's evidence of that. He says on their part, he is blasphemed, since they are shaming you and beating you and mocking you, but on your part, he is glorified. And when you think about that, that's just crazy because when someone's mocking God, blaspheming God, to the, again, from the natural man point of view, for those who aren't saved, they look at that and go, how is God glorified? He's being made fun of. How is that glorifying God? And Peter's saying here, on their part, God is being blasphemed, which they'll have to face God for that one day unless they come to know Christ. But on your part, God is glorified through that. Some way, somehow, you are glorified through that shame, that shaming. Christ is glorified when you are willing to suffer shame for his name, which is why Peter and the apostles and Paul and Christians all throughout history rejoice They rejoice that they are counted worthy to suffer for the name. Let's turn to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Verses uh, 22 and 23. This is Jesus speaking. Luke six twenty-two through 23. Jesus says, Blessed are you when men hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Here it is, verse 23. This is just mind-blowing. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Again, if you're an unbeliever, you look at that and you're like, how, how does that happen? How does that take place? They're, they're shaming you. They're reviling you. They're excluding you. They're not treating you right. Yet you rejoice in that. Like That's just, from their perspective, that just, how does that take place? It's through the Spirit. The Holy Spirit that fills us, that enables us with that joy, which is our strength. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For indeed, 
Your reward is great in heaven, for in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. We will get a reward in heaven for suffering for his sake. So leap for joy. Rejoice in that. The reward is great. Let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 15. He says, Peter saying, But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody, but in, or in other people's manners. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this manner. Not all suffering is a fiery trial from the Lord. If a professed Christian breaks the law and uh, gets into trouble or becomes a meddler in other people's lives, then, of course, he ought to suffer. That's just justice. Just because we are Christians is not a guarantee that we escape the normal consequences of our sins. Peter is saying, if we are going to suffer, let's do it because we're Christians and not as criminals. Let's suffer because we follow Christ. Because when we suffer as a criminal, there is shame. And when we suffer as a Christian, there is no shame. Peter says in verse 16 that if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God. Now as you're listening to this, like I said, I've only scratched the surface as far as covering verses that talk about suffering. Uh, Christians are called to suffer. And not a lot of people in our culture, people under the church in America, don't really realize that because it's really not talked enough about, I don't think. Christians are called to suffer. And here, I'll, I'll, we have a slide actually for this. First Peter chapter 2, verse uh, 20 through 21 says this. First Peter chapter 2. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently... This is commendable before God, for to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. And for a lot of us, this makes us uncomfortable, because we're like, we live in such a very comfortable environment, living in America, that we, we look at that and we're like, I don't want to suffer, I don't want to go through that. But that's what, yeah, that's what we're called to. And so we can't always expect that comfort to stay there forever. The times are changing. Culture is changing. And still, yet even then, things are still happening in our daily lives. Diseases. The loss of loved ones. Suffering is a part of life. But if we follow Christ, that is something that we are called to do. Because why? Christ also suffered for us leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. Turn with me to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. Verses uh, 25 through 33. And we see here from Jesus that there is a cost for following Jesus. There is a cost. And he says, and he'll explain it right here. Now great multitudes, verse 25, now great multitudes went with him and he turned and said to them, verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Just to clarify, that word hate there is not the same way that we use the word hate today. Um, it's a better translation would be, like, it's hard to translate this because you could say loved less, but it's, it means that in a very strong sense that your love for Christ far surpasses by, like, I mean, a huge gap. Your love for Christ is so much more than your love for everything and anyone else and even yourself. So, that's, so when he says hate, it's in a very, you know, love less, but in a very strong sense. That's where you actually hate them than the way we use the word hate today. It means love less. 
So if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost? Whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for conditions of peace. So likewise, verse 33 Whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Have we counted the cost? Have we done that? Because Jesus here says that we need to count the cost before we actually commit our lives to him. When we bear our cross, we are taking action to die to ourselves and our desires. Jesus was teaching this before his crucifixion even took place. And he was saying, whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Then he goes on to say that we need to seriously count the cost of being a disciple. Verse 33 says, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. And this is why the false teaching that we call the prosperity gospel is a lie. The prosperity gospel teaches that once you become a Christian, that you will be blessed with health and wealth and an easy-peasy, hunky-dory, flowery, you know, rainbows, unicorns type of life. It's just wrong, all of it. It's not true. You won't find that in the scriptures. It's a lie. Rather, we are to die to our own passions and our own desires. We are to forsake everything to follow him and Jesus is strongly implying that suffering is a big part of following Jesus. Hence, why he says, take up your cross daily and follow me. Something we got to do every day. And people knew what, what Jesus was talking about when he said, take up your cross. Even though this was before the crucifixion, because the Romans displayed crucifixion in public on purpose. So the people at that time knew exactly what Jesus meant when he said, take up your cross. Meaning, you got to die. Die to yourself. Die to your own passions, your own desires, and follow me. That's what Jesus was saying, and they knew that. It's not about us. It never was about us. It's about him and his glory. We are not promised health and wealth on this earth, but rather we are promised a great eternal reward in heaven. Second Timothy 3.10 says this, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. This is a promise. This is a guarantee. All who desire to live godly, which many of us, I hope we would to have that desire, in Christ will suffer persecution in some way or form. Let's go back to 1 Peter, but we'll be in chapter 1 this time. 1 Peter chapter 1. Verses uh, 3 through 9. Peter, again, he says, he opens up his letter here saying this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope, not a, a dead hope, not the hope where you're, you guess and you, you know, oh, I hope this will happen, you know, in like a guessing manner. No, this hope here is a confident expectation you can expect it to happen. That's the type of hope we're talking about, a living hope. So, he, uh, so according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, verse 4, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. So there we see it's totally natural to grieve and sorrow. We just can't stay there. 
That's the point, and he's going to say this in verse, um, verse 8. Verse 6, though, let me reread it. So he says, in, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Verse 7, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with, what does it say? Joy. But not just like, oh, you know, joy. No, joy inexpressible. It says right there, inexpressible and full of glory. Like a joy that's so full, that fullness of joy, that we don't even know how to express all of that. That's the type of serious joy that we're talking about here. Though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Just in that fact alone, that we've been saved from hell, that we, we totally deserve to go to hell, but that, that God in his love for us laid down his glory, his rights came down and died for us so that we could be reunited with him. That alone should fill us with a joy inexpressible. And that is what will strengthen us to endure the suffering that we're called to go be a part of, that we get to be a part of. We see here that the genuineness of our faith is much more precious than gold which perishes. Jesus doesn't promise us health and wealth in this life. All of that's going to perish. For the believer, rather, when we endure the temporary afflictions, we get rewards far better than that. Romans 8.18 says this, I have a slide. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, right now, they're not even worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 4. Let's look at another verse that talks about the same thing, but a little bit more detail as to what Paul is talking about in Romans. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. Therefore, verse 16, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Verse 17, and this, is just, this just blows my mind. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now, notice how Paul mentions that the suffering that they are facing, he calls them light afflictions. Okay, And just to clarify what he's talking about, what he calls light afflictions includes a series of all kinds of tortures, shame, pain, blood, death, betrayal, etc., etc. The list could go on of all the types of sufferings that Paul went through, being shipwrecked. He called all that light affliction, a light affliction. Now to most people, those would not be considered a light affliction. So most people, we look at them and be like, that, pfft, how is that light? Like, that seems like awful. That seems heavy. That seems like a lot to go through. But notice what Paul's perspective is here. He says this, it is but for a moment. It's a moment. Was it a literal moment? No, not, you know, within the time, the, the confines of our time and space, but it is light and so momentary compared to the eternal weight, as he says, of glory, eternity. When you compare all of eternity compared to our life, which is just, you know, so little as far as time goes, like even our life in itself, if you live from one to a hundred years old, that's just a moment compared to eternity. So imagine then the suffering that we go through within that little amount of time compared to eternity is just, it's just nothing. It's like... 
When we get to heaven, we're not going to really, it's going to be so, seem like it's so far back that we're not going to really remember it. Like the way we are going to remember when we're going through it in the middle of it. But that perspective is an eternal perspective. Looking towards eternity. Looking towards heaven. Looking at Jesus. And through that, with that joy, we'll realize and remember that this is just temporary. It's only for a moment. There's a far better thing, a reward in heaven waiting for me. The things which are seen are temporary, but the things that are not seen are eternal. All of the pain we suffer here for Christ is so short in the context of eternity. It is momentary, and it is light. Hebrews 10, uh, 32-39 says this, and I have a slide in the New Living Translation. Think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful, even though it meant terrible suffering. So the people he's writing to here knew what they were getting themselves into when they decided to follow Christ. Because they knew it meant terrible suffering. Verse 33, Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten, and sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail. And when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. Joy. You knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. For in just a little while, verse 37, the coming one will come and not delay. And my righteous ones will live by faith, and I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. We need that eternal perspective. And to keep in mind that we will get our reward in heaven for patiently enduring the fiery trials and trusting God with the fullness of joy. Sometimes the suffering that takes place here uh, for his sake, will kill us physically. Whether that be through persecution or disease or any type of suffering that he allows us to go through according to his will. But we need to remember that to be absent from the body is to be present with the... You guys can do better than that. Present with the Lord. Lord. There we go. Romans 14.8 says this of a slide. For if we live, we live to the Lord... And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. We are His. And when we die, physically, we are immediately in His presence, in His glory. Someone once said, A man really believes not what he recites in his creed, but only the things he is ready to die for. A man really believes not what he recites in his creed, but only the things he is ready to die for. Suffering for Christ is a noble thing. Dying for Christ is a noble thing, but there is a dire warning that Paul lays for us in 1 Corinthians uh, 13, verses 1 through 3, and I'm just, for the sake of time, you don't have to turn there, but I'm, I'm going to read it. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3 says this, Paul writing to the church in Corinth, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love... I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. I can be a really good orator or someone who gives you know, a speech. Like if you're, but if you don't have love, then you're just making noise. Verse 2, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Verse 3, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though... I give my body to be burned, but have not love. It profits me nothing. Our suffering must be motivated by love. Otherwise, dying for Christ would be just another zealous, religious, profitless action. Without love, Paul is saying that it profits us nothing. We need to love. We need to love those who are afflicting us and pray for them and preach the gospel to them. And when they hurt us, 
and afflict us. We need to rejoice in that. We get to be a part of what Christ also suffered. We get we should, uh, the fullness of joy being in his presence through that. That is what will strengthen us to endure all of that because we look forward to the reward of being in his presence in heaven. We need to love our brothers and sisters. We need to love God. We need to love everybody. Love must always be our motivation. Romans 12.1 says this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Notice we aren't referred to as a dead sacrifice, but a living one. Paul says that to present our bodies as a living sacrifice is our reasonable service. And the key word I want to focus there is uh, reasonable. Think about it. Do we deserve to suffer? We do. Why? Why do we deserve to suffer? Our sin, right? If we weigh our lives to the scales of justice, we certainly deserve to suffer. But as believers, those who have been forgiven, having been saved from the eternal suffering in hell, which we deserved, that we didn't deserve salvation, we deserved hell, but we've been saved from that, we are now promised eternity in heaven with the lover of our souls. Since all that is eternal, whatever happens down here is temporary. And God has called his followers to endure the sufferings and fiery trials of this life for his sake. And in so doing, we get rewards to heaven. So it is reasonable to give our bodies as a living sacrifice. It is reasonable for us to endure the sufferings that we get to share with Christ. Now I want to address something that will probably make us uncomfortable and this is even something that I've been convicted of. But some of us live as though we are entitled to be treated well by everybody. We are, that we're entitled with, with rights, that we are entitled to be treated well by everybody. As Christians, if we have that type of mindset, if we live like that, then who are we to think that we should be treated better than Christ was? Jesus laid down all of his rights. Jesus came down to suffer for you so he could get to your heart. He could get to you. He could have easily called in legions of angels to take out his afflictors, but he was meek and he was willing to suffer because of his love for you. Who are we to think we deserve better treatment than him? On the contrary, we need to stick up for what is right when we get to suffer for him. We get to suffer for him. And we're even more glad. We're joyful. That should be our mindset. That should be our mindset. We get to suffer. I got to suffer for him. With the culture swiftly changing, we need to be ready for more suffering, more persecution, more ridicule, more shame, more violence toward us. But it is vital for us to be joyful in that time. We are to be countercultural. It is normal for us to be hated because the world hates Jesus first. And I had a meeting with our, our high school team on Thursday, and we were just talking about how the culture is just changing so fast and so rapidly. And uh, we were talking about how we could prepare them to face that ridicule and that shame that they're going to face uh, soon, I think. And we're even training them on Wednesday nights to evangelize, and we're actually planning to go out and street witness soon. But we're talking about getting them ready and prepared as a counterculture. Because for years, the culture has been pretty Christian-friendly but is now going back to the way it was in the early church. And we need to be ready to take a stand for righteousness, but we must expect suffering as a result, and we can look forward to that. We are called to rejoice in suffering. And so, First uh, Peter uh, chapter 4, since I'm running out of time here, I'll finish up. Skip down to verse 19, First Peter 4. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. We are his. We are his. If I'm going to suffer, God, I'm all yours. You've been so good to me and so faithful, even though I haven't been faithful. God, I rejoice in this tribulation. We get to suffer for him. It brings us closer to him and equips us for the uh, the ministry. And only through the power of the Spirit can one walk away after being mutilated or beaten and be more glad walking out than going in. Only through the Spirit. The power of Christ... That is the power of Christ, and that joy makes us unstoppable and totally free from the power of the culture. The joy of the Lord is our strength. 
So real quick, there's a lot more verses I wanted to cover. I made slides, though. Um, we're just gonna read it. We're just gonna read it. You guys can follow along. First one is this: This is the manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you also suffer. Second Thessalonians one five. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Second Timothy two three. So also, Jesus suffered and died outside the city gates to make his people holy by means of his own blood. So let us go out to him outside the camp and bear the disgrace he bore. Hebrews 13. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. 1 John 3. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. 1 Peter 3. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. It has been granted to us to suffer. It's a privilege, is what this is saying. It has been granted to us. And I want to close with the, the opening verse, 1 Peter 4, 12 through 13. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Exceeding joy. Let's, uh, let's pray. God, we oh, just come before your, your throne of grace, God. We thank you f- again, God, just the how amazing it is that you, in all of your glory and your majesty and all of your power, you were willing to give all that up and to not only just, just to live among us, it's just crazy to think about, but then to die for us, to die for a people who spit in your face every day. That is the love you have for us, God. You demonstrated your love for us and that while we were still sinners, you died for us. And we thank you. We thank you for the resurrection conquering death, rising from the dead, that we may be free from our sin, free from the bondage of sin. We thank you, God. Give us boldness this week, Lord, to go out and proclaim this good news, to proclaim the gospel to those who are hurting. Help us to comfort our brothers and sisters who are suffering right now, God. And I lift up those who are suffering right now, whatever that may be, that you comfort them with your Holy Spirit, Lord. Use us, God. We want to be used by you to glorify you, God. We thank you for this time. We ask that you bless the rest of our week and uh, our day and help us to glorify you in everything that we say and everything that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church, how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.